Assalamu alaikum, brothers and sisters. Welcome to another episode of Remastered. I'm here, your host, Brother Abdullah Freeman. I'm here joined with our esteemed guest, Imam and Dr. Muhammad Abu Talib. Like, like I said before, this is uh, it's always interesting introducing which title for uh, the person, whether a doctor or the doctor of Islam, the sheikh, many titles. Welcome to the show, Imam. Assalamu alaikum. Alaikum salam wa rahmatullah, brother Abdullah, just your brother Muhammad Abu Talib, and, and really honored to be with you and discuss this important topic. And it's great to connect uh, with our listeners as well. Inshallah khair. Thank you for being on the show today. Um, Jazakallah khair. So today we're going to be talking about uh, a topic that's related, of course, Dhul Hijjah, which isn't about, uh, it's, it's going to be here. When this episode's out, Dhul Hijjah, it will be Dhul Hijjah. So inshallah khair. Um, and you know, as we we're speaking of before, uh, Imam, we're just talking about uh, your journey personally, uh, Islamically. But before we get into that, let me just read you guys the bio of our esteemed guest. So we have uh, uh, Imam and Dr. Muhammad Abu Talib, who serves as the Dean of Administration and Faculty at Boston Islamic Seminary and Senior Fellow at Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research. He has a background in technology, uh, uh, having a master's degree from MIT in electrical engineering, as well as a PhD from Cambridge Islamic College. So, Sheikh, you, you've done a wonderful job, wonderful job maintaining both, doing both worlds, dunya and deen, you know, mashallah. May Allah bless you, Akhi. Whatever uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has granted us, uh, it is uh, solely by his favor and his grace and acknowledge and appreciate that. I actually did my PhD in, uh, uh, from MIT and my alamiya from Assalam and, and uh, some diplomas in Cambridge. But that joint background was something that a lot of people told me could not coexist in one brain, right? Mm -hmm. That had to choose. And uh, looking back, I'm just so grateful to my parents, first and foremost, for uh, sacrificing, giving us the opportunity for, for, for a great education, but also for mentors uh, that helped us block out our biggest critic, which is ourselves. And sometimes <laughs> yeah. the thought uh, of a lot of the naysayers, a lot of people that said it's not worth it. And um, I look back, you know, and I, I share this praying that what comes from the heart enters, uh, uh, you know, each other's hearts, mm -hmm. that I almost never restarted uh, my Quran journey. I, I'd been studying for many years, uh, under well-meaning teachers, but, but without, you know, a lot of qualifications formally. And I remember when I, when I started reciting to the first, you know, highly qualified teacher I sat in front of, uh, he didn't stop me once, and I thought I was knocking it out of the park. I thought I just had the, the, the best recitation. Uh -huh. And it was actually that I just wasn't worth correcting. And so many mistakes <laughs> and so many, so long to go. Um, but I remember his smile very much, right? And that mm -hmm. smile, instead of a scolding, really encouraged me on the path. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people said it wasn't worth it. I was older than everybody in the class, <laughs> further ahead, you know, all the reasons why not to start. And, and a mentor shared with me the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, that the most beloved of deeds to Allah are the consistent ones, even if they're small. And I look back and whatever favor Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us, whatever pursuit you have, um, it's really sticking with it over a long period of time that, that makes a big difference. And I, I attribute it to that after the favor of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I say that inshallah, hoping that our listeners today will also stick with something really valuable and take it to even higher heights, inshallah, in our communities and the places they serve. Inshallah. You know, that's something that you hit on that I actually do want to, can we tap a little bit? You know, you said you were older than everybody. You know, I feel like in our communities, that is what happens. People learn or maybe they not may not learn properly. 
and they want to seek knowledge. But then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala kind of crafts these situations to where you have to humble yourself, right? Because you being older than everybody, you have to like humble yourself to go and learn and say, all right, I'm doing this for the sake of Allah, not my own nafs, like telling me, oh, you're older, you're doing this, right? And then like do things consistently step by step, right? Because like even me, myself, I relate to that. Going back, like in the process of relearning Quran now, like, or I would say for the first time, really, I didn't know about makharaj al-huruf. Like there's exit points yeah. of the letters and where you're supposed to say them. I didn't know about the rules of tajweed, khunna, nun sakina, mudud, like these different rules. It's like, oh, but then like when you go to recite, you see maybe like somebody who's six years old, somebody who's 10, somebody who's 16, you know, it's so how can we balance humbling ourselves? Like, what does that process look like? What did you do to humble yourself to like, say, all right, I'm going to go and learn this Quran, even though this guy just kind of like humiliated me, not correcting me, <laughs> and I'm older than everybody. You know, um, and this is this is really closely tied to the Hijjah too, right? And the story of Prophet Ibrahim. Allah in his wisdom, um, he tests us in this life with ease and with hardship, right? And we're not like that. We might let our accolades and our titles and and our pursuits get to our head really fast. And that would be uh, uh, something that would be a heavy burden on the day of judgment. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, and this is part of why I really encourage people, you know, bios are important and it's important to give, you know, respect to anybody that has taught us or has benefited us with anything. Um, and yet also it's really important to go behind the scenes on the how. Right. And pick up those tidbits of Allah's favor as, as you're giving us the opportunity here among a wide spectrum of people. And so whenever you see anything right that you want to emulate, if you see that somebody has been given favor from Allah in their recitation of the Quran or the knowledge or even their physical health or their relationships, you know, shaitan will come to us and make us feel like it just landed in their laps. Mm -hmm. But nothing worthwhile in life comes without investment or sacrifice mm -hmm. and knowledge is perhaps the the most that's the place where it's most true right mm -hmm. they're giving up you know leisure and comfort on a saturday morning many people in knowledge travel if not full-time they they travel to a teacher or a conference these meaningful things and they give of their money and themselves the saying of the scholars says that knowledge will not give you anything of itself until you give it all of yourself, right? And so you really have to, it's one of those pursuits where you have to apply yourself entirely. That doesn't mean you drop everything. That doesn't mean you don't, you know, earn a good life. It doesn't mean you don't have fun, mm -hmm. but it's so important that we emphasize the meaningful investments, right? The meaningful, you know, uh, applications of ourselves, right? And for me, it was, alhamdulillah, consistency with a few hours with a teacher. Mm -hmm. It was a willingness to do, you know, a lot of stuff at home and then come back to that teacher because the teacher didn't have as much time for us as the bigger cities and so on. Everybody has their situation. And it was the the people that were a third of my age and half of my size <laughs> looking up like, how did this guy fail? You know, several <laughs> grades, if you will. So, yeah, you know what? I'm grateful um, because when you let it get to your head, then you'll stop recognizing yourself really fast. And so mm. I really encourage people as they're going through adversity. And we ask Allah to be gentle with us. You know, the Prophet ﷺ says that we should ask Allah for lafiyah, to be spared the test. So none of us are, mm. are, you know, flexing our muscles or asking for a hard time. And we ask Allah, you know, as we see the tests of this life to lift affliction from each of us and to be gentle with his decree and to treat us based on our weakness and our limited means. 
And Allah in his infinite wisdom, as we know from the prophets, still tests everyone with a measure of adversity for themselves. And it's those moments in life where you really tap into that deepest part of yourself, even if it's like you said, just keeping your feet on the ground. And, and one of the best ways to do that, that was really impactful for me, was keeping mentors, teachers and friends, a small circle that are willing to tell you how it is. They don't know you behind a camera screen. There's goodness in that or they don't know you from afar, but they they will give you honest advice. They're sincere people. Right. And and that is one of the things that helps you stay accountable, helps pursue your goals and helps, you know, keep our keep our feet flat, firmly planted, you know, where they belong as small parts of this this incredibly wide universe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created. And that's all tied to Dhul Hijjah. <laughs> I know people are like, what? Like, yeah. But it's, it's definitely tied to the theme that they we're going to be talking about. Um, it's part of it, all of it. You know, the, before we get deeper into uh, Dhul Hijjah itself and uh, the aspects of it, history, um, just to talk about like the, the semantics itself, Dhul Hijjah itself, right? So we here, we're in America, mashallah, right? We're in the West. And most of us, we, we have days of the week, months. Now, most of us don't know the origins. You know, I, I learned this not, I want to say a couple of years ago, that the origins for most of these come from Norse or Roman gods and goddesses, the names. Like Monday is named for the moon or uh, a popular one, like Avengers is really popular, right? Thursdays for Thor, right? So like these, are they have these names. So can you explain just briefly the importance of us also including our history calendar in our uh, uh, daily lives and things of that nature as Muslims, right? Because, of course, I'm not going to say, uh, haram, you said Friday, right? Like, no, 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 I, I get it. It's Yom Jumu'ah. But we live in the West. We grew up with this. I get it, right? I'm not at that level to declare anything. But can we explain the importance of balancing both and keeping both? Yeah, so the Hijri calendar is um, intimately connected and deeply tied with many important meanings in Islam. Mm -hmm. So as we look at the month of Dhul Hijjah, in Arabic it means, you know, possessor of the pilgrimage, or the month that has the pilgrimage within it, right? Hijjah being pilgrim. And so um, this was the month of, the, of that special gathering once a year, the Hijri calendar being a lunar calendar, so slightly, you know, uh, shorter than the solar Gregorian calendar. Now, this calendar existed before the time of the Prophet wasallam to some extent, meaning what? meaning that some of the terms overlap. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, for example, the Arabs had the habit of the pilgrimage, but it had become an idolatrous practice. Mm -hmm. That's not because they invented it like that. It's because it had been corrupted from the days of Prophet Ibrahim, right? And so the mm -hmm. Hajj of the Muslims is not recasting a pagan uh, you know, ritual. It's returning a ritual back to its true roots it's true abrahamic roots and root in worshiping allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself uh, alone with no partners no equals and no associates so also allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in surah at-tawbah surah number nine verses number 36 and 37 he talks about how that the that uh, about the 12 months right and dhul hijjah is the 12th and the last month of the hijri calendar and so the issue of timekeeping and of calendaring and of the value and virtue of time in general in the life of the Muslim is emphasized in so many places in our deen, in our religion, right? And one of the, the scholars, he says a statement. He says, I wish 
that I had the capability to purchase time off of the ignorant people that waste it. Then I would gather all my wealth and use it all for the purposes of purchasing time. So, you know, when we watch a sports game or log on to the internet or see an ad, everything is about getting more material things, getting more money, right? And the the wholesome, halal, appropriate pursuit of an honest livelihood is not a bad thing, right? Within boundaries. However, it is not the most valuable capital that the believer has. Undoubtedly, the most valuable capital and the most valuable investment is time. Money supports that other pursuit, but time is the most valuable gift we're given on this earth. And it's very finite. It's very limited. and It's very short. So the calendar was part of that recentering upon the guidance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? And the Arabs had some practices that were changed by Islam, though they named some of the months, you know, with the same labels. They used to not really keep track of particular years, like 2023 or 2022 or 2024. They would just kind of pick a big event, like the year of the elephant, and then say 40 years after that or before that. Uh, Ayah number 37, verse number 37, Surah Tawbah, talks about a, a practice called the Nasi' where for their benefit, they would shift the sacred months, the Ashur al-Hurum, in which there were certain regulations that they observed, mm-hmm. but they wanted to wage war, they wanted to do some economic thing or so on, so they would just flip months around, right? And that shows mm-hmm. that callous attitude to both the value of time and the honor and sanctity of the deen, right? Mm-hmm. And so you see in, in, in Islam, sometimes Ramadan falls in the summer, mm-hmm. but we don't like issue a special decree. We're trading with month number one this year, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the Hajjah, you know, Hajj is very crowded. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can fall during hot months. Yeah. But this in our deen is not just suffering for no purpose, but it's sacrifice investment to worship Allah the way that he commanded, not the way that just comes on my whims. And so the calendar and the and the observation of that builds a discipline in the believer. And discipline is a characteristic of the believer. And you see, it starts with the five prayers, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Fajr might be more convenient at 9 a.m. or 8 a.m., but you're going to set that alarm, get up before dawn, build that discipline, and then see what that brings for the rest of your life, right? Mm-hmm. Not just religiously, like of course, the barakah, the blessing of starting the day with the remembrance of Allah, something I can't put into words. Mm-hmm. But also, a person that shows up for prayers on time, shows up to appointments on time, right? Mm-hmm. Starts to change Muslim standard time. It's sad that we have this term, you know, showing up hours late. To a respect, everything that is successful in this world operates on time. They say in, in community organizing, power operates on time. You're trying to make a positive change. People that are successful respect time. People that are are not as as driven, as disciplined, it's just kind of one day after another, right? And so, I mean, these are some among many virtues that I want us to really appreciate, mm-hmm. to understand even if we call it Dhul Hijjah and the pagan Arabs called it Dhul Hijjah, there's so many differences. Mm-hmm. And those differences are not reinventing pagan rituals. They're bringing it back to the Abrahamic roots that they had lost, the people of Mecca, started there and had lost it over the generation. They had Prophet Ismail and many generations of worshiping Allah, and then they had veered away. And the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu helped them come back to the roots for which the Kaaba was raised from its foundations for the worship of Allah alone.
Mashallah. You know, it's very, the point that you hit about time is very interesting, you know, because we as, uh, of course, like you said, MST, Muslim Standard Time, not Mountain Standard Time, but Muslim Standard Time, right? We arrive hours and hours late, but we have already a structured uh, set, uh, like Salah, basically we could base our whole schedule around Salah and have like a structure to our day already given automatically. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to look anywhere to get something like that. How can we... As Muslims, you know, try to incorporate, um, what's the best way to say this? It seems though as though like ibadah is constantly uh, a returning, like a pivot point in the life of a Muslim throughout the day, right? How can we constantly, even when we're not praying a lot, add little things to keep that ibadah going while we still do other things related to the dunya, right? Just to invest in both akhirah and dunya as well. Like what is some things you would say? So, you know, um, shifting our mindset to organize our day around our prayers rather than fit our prayers into our day, Mm -hmm. I would suggest is one of the most transformative things a person can do with their lives. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm saying that and there's layers of benefit, right? Of course, prayer is the most important thing that a believer is, uh, you know, question about on the day of judgment. And if it is sound, then the rest of the affairs are sound. This is a statement of Prophet If it is corrupt or deficient, then you will find the rest of affairs deficient. So there's spiritual levels to this. There are religious levels to this. And there are there is a, a rewardability in drawing nearer to Allah. But that does not mean that there are not many fruits and benefits in this world as well, right? So when you start with that attitude, it brings in, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us tawfiq, like I'm, I'm talking about something that we're pursuing together, not a station that I've attained, right? Mm-hmm. But we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses us, that once you build that, then you can start to think also about putting obligations before optional things, like prayer is obligatory, right? So if mm-hmm. I do that with my prayers, then I also think about what I need to do in my day, even if it's my schooling, my education, my job, right? Bringing that attitude in there too, planning to be early so that, you know, if there's curveballs on the way or traffic, you're able to arrive on time rather than, you know, measuring it by the second, right? And so when you do that, you can see how if I know dhuhr, I've got, you know, a three-hour window, and I'm planning to catch it in the last 10 minutes, then guess what? Not only is that going to spiritually hamper me, but it's going to bring that attitude everywhere else. And that attitude is going to hold back my productivity, my success, my seriousness, the type of company I can keep, right? Because people might not take me as seriously. And so, uh, and and really valuing the value of a day, right? Valuing that Okay, I'm on, I'm on summer vacation, but that doesn't mean I can sleep away half the day. I got a, the believer has many things to do, so anchoring it in in the prayers can actually bring that discipline into our worldly pursuits as well, which can become rewardable with sincere intentions. But also, the dean gives us many opportunities to do this with the other acts of worship, right? So you see the the discipline of Ramadan. No, every, we all know where Fajr when Fajr is during Ramadan, right? Because Allah connects it to our physical reality, mm-hmm. and so gives us an opportunity to break our old habits, right? As we upgrade and and continue in our pursuit of, of a closer relationship with Allah, something like the athqar and the daily remembrances. See the Prophet making dua even when eating, when before you know using the restroom or, or when leaving it, uh, when starting an affair with the name of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala in terms of the the the, the matters of life, entering the dua for entering a marketplace. Mm-hmm. 
so on and so forth, this keen awareness of the value of time. And again, Dhul Hijjah is like that too, because this journey of a lifetime, um, it is spiritual you know, and religious, but also has many logistics associated with it, right? So you start planning. And, and uh, you know, subhanAllah, it just came to my mind, I'll share very briefly. There was a brother and a teacher, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless him. I, I haven't actually mm-hmm. spoken to him in more than maybe 10 or 15 years now. Mm-hmm. But I remember something about hajj and timeliness really well from my childhood. Mm-hmm. He, every year, he was very deeply connected and respected mm-hmm. by this, you know, group in our Sunday school and uh, our local area. I grew up in the, in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. And right on the calendar, a couple months before hajj, and this, you know, he had a close relationship with a lot of people. I remember that he would always, like, remind people, Hajj is coming up. My friend such and such, we are not going to live forever. You're getting into your 50s. He wasn't saying this to a stranger, saying it to a friend. It's time to start planning. And he would really, like, motivate people and follow up with them. I was, like, 10 or 12 at the time. <laughs> yeah. And what he started with us kids was uh, a, a Hajj camel bank. You know, I can't joke like a piggy bank, but, <laughs> you know, and, you know, you measure it. It's like, what's, what are some kids putting some quarters and dollar bills going to make a difference with what Hajj costs? But he pushed us, taught us Hajj and so on. Hmm. Subhanallah, uh, the favor of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the classmates of that, like, classroom hmm. almost all made their Hajj in their 20s. Subhanallah. Right? They're not rich, not like not because they're multimillionaires. Like Subhanallah, me personally, I've only made Hajj once in my life. I was an Imam for many years, mm-hmm. never made Hajj once as an Imam, which should be easy. Mm-hmm. But the one time was right when that savings crossed the threshold, and I went. I've never been able to go wow. since. I've wanted to many times, never had the tawfiq to go. Wow. And so we ask Allah to make it easy for all of us. And so mm-hmm. it's incredible how that meaning like started don't worry about how you're going to get to destination mm-hmm. start that journey with little steps um and so you know just doing that even in in work or school you know really overcoming the energy the need to create motivation through procrastination right and creating mm-hmm. those motivators through goals through mentorship um, can be some of the most valuable things to come into the believer's life Wow, mashallah. That's that 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 story right there is like amazing. Like a, a camelback. I'm gonna use that if, if I ever teach in Sunday school again. <laughs> we gotta make you guys a hodge fund, right? <laughs> Start saving your quarters and stuff. But just the foresight to be able to to have something like that. And you know, you would think like when you say right, the arkan of Islam, arkan al Islam, right? You're like, all right, hajj is one of them, right? But we say that, but you know, when we think of the because of the society we live in, when we think of like the money aspect, you're just like uh, but you know, later, later, right? I don't have the money right now. But like you, like you said, you could take steps towards saving towards that, to where eventually you don't have to find be in your sixties thinking, how can I get seven to ten k? You could be like, oh, I already have like even if it's two 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 thousand five hundred dollars or three thousand dollars, something better than nothing, right? And Allah Subhanahu wa Taala could put barakah to make that stretch. So maybe by the time you look, it's ten k and you didn't even realize, right? So those yeah. are. Jazakallah, those are very like very interesting points, you know. And it kind of makes me think like to the individual who we're about to talk about regarding Dhul Hijjah Prophet Ibrahim, right? He from young had the foresight and seen 
that these practices of my father and my people is wrong, right? You would think he would, it's very interesting because like his father made the idols. So you would think that, oh, he should take pride in like, these are my ilah, these are what I follow. We should all obey this. But he was like, no. So can we just briefly just discuss Prophet Ibrahim, you know, like, and really quick, I, I think aside Muhammad, Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, I think the Anbiya who I would like to meet the most next is Prophet Ibrahim, you know, just the, the importance of who he is and how he's so tied to our religion in many different aspects, you know. Could you just speak to the importance of, of Prophet Ibrahim and like just his character development, you know, briefly? Prophet Ibrahim, indeed, um, it, you know, has such a special place in our deen. And when you get to know uh, him and his family, there is truly a longing that enters a, the heart to meet these incredible people, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's, um, it, it's remarkable how many acts of worship in Islam connect us with that family. Every prayer, we're mentioning his name, making dua for him and the Prophet you know, re, that reminds us of that connection. Hajj is full of those connections. Uthiya or Qurbani, full of those connections. Uh, and so many more. Um, perhaps part of the divine wisdom in connecting us to his example is how he and his family attained such comprehensive success. Um, in Surah An-Nahl, Surah number 16, verse number 120, Allah says, Inna umma, That Abraham was like a nation unto himself. And uh, this verse indicates that, you know, they gathered so many attributes of human success, such perfect gratitude of, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's favors, such excellent worship. But also these things that we've been talking about, Prophet Ibrahim is a, a great critical thinker, an exceptional mind. Mm -hmm. He doesn't just follow the crowd. The discipline we've been talking about throughout every member of the family, through Sara, through Hajar, some of the greatest women believers in the history of our tradition. Sure. You know, you see the discipline and their individual excellence and then the excellence of this family as, as they are in relationship, right? The type of children they raise, how they deal with really difficult, you know, family tests, family drama, family hardships. Uh, one of the greatest, greatest. Uh, sons in history had one of the most awful fathers and undeserving fathers in history, the father of Ibrahim. So that makes it very real for us, right? That it wasn't just that they had a smooth life. Uh, people that feel, a lot of people feel loneliness, right? Loneliness as a Muslim, loneliness in terms of being a minority in America, loneliness in COVID and post-COVID. So to imagine, like, if I'm thinking that you know, person feels like there's not many Muslims in their town or their school or their workplace. Like Prophet Ibrahim and Sarah were literally almost the only Muslims on planet Earth. And look what they built, right? Um, people that may be searching for, a, 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 you know, marriage or searching for a, a child after being married or going through just the tests of life. Here are exemplary, amazing people you know, that not not just for years, but for decades, we're searching for the gift of a child mm -hmm. and we're not granted it in Allah's wisdom. And then subhanAllah, when they were granted it, they were given short time after such a heavy test uh, of, of being commanded to sacrifice the son, right? And a unique test for this family, those that are suffering at the hands of oppression or tyranny. You see the courage of Sarah, 
uh, as she is faced with one of the most horrid men and tyrants of the age and an additional dimension of the test that she is physically separated and can't coordinate with her immediate family in a foreign land. And so Prophet Ibrahim is dealing with the anxiety and the fear and the possibility of death. And Sarah is all alone. It's it's her iman. It's her and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this incredibly difficult circumstance. Hajar in the middle of a desert, no human reason to know how she would survive. And so she has utter trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm just mentioning these examples. You know, each of these have ayat and a hadith, but how really the pains that we have today, Allah made this family an example of how to face this dunya and succeed at the highest level, right? A lot of us, we're like choked by the material reality around us. Mm -hmm. You see, they lived outcast, loved, at the peak of being known, the hajj and this, different lands, but they're consistent, they're consistent. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, closely associated with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is spiritually inclined near to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He mentions their gratitude. He mentions the excellence of their faith. All of these praises, subhanAllah, I remember the ayah of Surah Al-Baqarah, Surah number two. وَإِذِ بِتَلَى إِبْرَاهِيمَ رَبُّهُمْ بِكَلِمَاتٍ فَأَتَمَّهُنْ Behold, when your Lord tested Abraham with some commandments and he fulfilled them completely. So, you know, if you imagine a high moment of like a graduation, high school graduation, college graduation, uh, maybe a certificate, somebody finished, maybe, maybe somebody raised a child and, you know, all those years and you fast forward the infancy and, and the, 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 the sick nights and the diapers and the this and the that and then all the way to seeing a person. And it's like before that, well, I did well on the exam, but I don't know where I'm going to end up. Well, I like the school, but I don't know what the teacher thinks. And it's like that day, you're like, I made it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But we're all trying to make it in something much greater. Right. Mm-hmm. And Prophet Ibrahim was so special that Allah revealed knowledge that he made it while he was still alive. Right. We, we're not going to know that until the day of judgment. Mm-hmm. Abu Bakr says, you know, if one foot entered Jannah, he would not feel secure till the second followed. So most of us, normal human beings, we don't know. We have indications, you know, maybe pious people think well of us. Maybe the indicators of ikhlas. Inshallah, we we hope well and think well of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But, mm-hmm. you know, the verdict, the diploma, the seal of approval is coming when? When we meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Prophet Ibrahim knew that he made it in this dunya. And so Allah made him as, قَالَ إِنِّي imam. I shall make you as a leader for all mankind. And so I say this with respect to the family of Ibrahim, but also to humanize them, that I imagine each and every one of us is coming, listening to this conversation with, with stuff on our shoulders, right? We got, we got burdens on our mind. And Allah made this family live such a diversity of experience that they, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, and we're all going through something, like this family is just such an incredible set of role models and examples for us. No, mashallah. Definitely the, the the examples you listed, it's countless examples, like you said, that just highlight the uh, struggles and the importance uh, of this family and what they mean and 
so many ayat and you know you even going just to the little tidbit of just like i never thought of this like prophet ibrahim having like a terrible relationship or not terrible relationship but a terrible father you could say right was about to let his son get burned right <laughs> you think oh wait yeah like call cps about that right but like he went through yeah. that and just went through uh uh after be- having a bad father becoming a father and then oh i have to sacrifice my son oh so yeah. just even that psychological aspect that we really don't delve too deep into uh, of course because it's all speculative but like you know just the, those different aspects so one thing i'll ask you now imam is how all of that can only be done if you have a, a a great level of spirituality, right? Without like a shadow of a doubt, you need that be it have some level of spirituality. Can you just speak a little bit to Prophet Ibrahim salam's like his spirituality individually, and how's that tied to Dhul Hijjah and Hajj itself? Yes. So the praise of Allah of this Prophet in Surah uh, An Nahl about this aspect in particular, you know, he says Qanita Lillah. And qunut, you know, is what we one of the ways that the word is used. You know, if you think back to Ramadan, it's not just in Ramadan, but any night of prayer. Mm-hmm. And imagine, but imagine, you know, the last tarawih, you just felt really there, right? And then, you know, you're praying Aisha, and then two rakahs, two rakahs. And as you add, it's like we all come in with that stuff floating in our head and dunya and whatever. And as you just kind of center more, if your heart is there and so on, you feel closer and closer to Allah. Then the very end, at Witr, you make that dua, right? Mm-hmm. And that dua is called dua al-qunut, mm-hmm. right? And that qunut is like that inclination, that closeness to Allah. And it's specially placed there, the scholars say, because like at the end of this long set of prayers, especially with the stillness of the night and that you have great hope in Allah who answers prayers at any time that this is a time where you feel really close to Allah. So Allah called him which we can understand that it's as if Prophet Ibrahim was consistently in that state. Like that high, that nearness we feel, he was able to achieve it very consistently in his life. And I know I want that. I'm sure each of us wants that. And you know, this world is really distracting and today it's really noisy right there's just a lot of noise around us mm-hmm. and our dean doesn't ask us to go live in a cave and drop it all right how do you find that centering while there's still this noise how do you find consistency while people go up and down one day up one day down one day this one day that how do you stay consistent in your in one's relationship with allah and one of the things that prophet ibrahim salam did that that we should we should emulate is to think about spiritual goals as a place to apply oneself very consistently throughout life a lot of us as we go through life we may feel more spiritual when we're sick or going through a rough time mm-hmm. but when things are going our way maybe we start to distance i'm not saying we're bad people but mm-hmm. it gets noisy and Prayers start slipping or whatever. And then we get a curveball and we're back on back on track. Mm-hmm. Or Ramadan comes and mashallah, we're at Fajr Dhuhra, we're at Aisha, we're at Tarawih. And then the next month and then the month after, we're kind of <laughs> like really easing out. And then mm-hmm. I don't have that same, it's not just the feeling, but the fruits being mm-hmm. connected with Allah. Now, none of us is going to keep the level of worship we had in Ramadan. But if we're able to keep some consistent habits spiritual habits, 
that you can see Prophet Ibrahim achieved at an incredible level because he lived in maybe five different areas or regions throughout his life. Mm -hmm. You see the dawah in one region is not like another, right? Mm -hmm. And yet he was consistent in doing what pleased Allah. Mm -hmm. You know, the outcome of people, if a lot of us sometimes, you know, especially with social media, we can we can inadvertently look for the accolades of people, look for the acceptance of people. Mm -hmm. Prophet Ibrahim with his own people that he was born with, I mean, not only they rejected him, put him down, hated him, they literally tried to burn him alive, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And yet later, with the call to Hajj, which is like one of the most prestigious, honorable things, lifting the Kaaba from its foundations, like what greater message is there that a person has made it with Allah? And yet there's this consistency in his dua. He's asking Allah to accept from him. He's not assuming that it's a given. He's asking Allah to, for knowledge, for Allah to show them how to worship properly. So there's not an indication of, of arrogance or of, of taking it for granted. So, you know, a lot of us, we hesitate to look ourselves in the mirror and really take stock of where we are in our relationship with Allah. And I say that with, you know, a lot of respect. I'm not putting down anybody's journey or assuming that we're all a monolith. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the, the scholars say the worst deception is a deception of a saint. To look in the mirror and think that I'm perfect and I'm not. We all have struggles and we all have gaps and shortcomings. Look, created as these human beings prone to error. So some of us might be thinking that the next step is PM every night. Whereas really what we need to work on is to pray our five on time, mm -hmm. right? Some of us might be trying to fast every other day, whereas really the stepping stone might be fasting Monday and Thursday, mm -hmm. building on Ramadan or fasting three days a day. Similarly, not just the ritual acts of worship, but our character, refining ourselves, mm -hmm. the journey towards Allah. That consistency builds a lot more than the spikes, the spikes are not bad, right? Mm -hmm. The spikes are the weekend intensive, the retreats, the, mm -hmm. and that's great. Um, don't stop that, right? Mm -hmm. Allah didn't say not to do that. But again, the Prophet said the most beloved deeds to Allah are the consistent ones, even if they're small. So building consistent spiritual habits is what this family was able to do. So when they were tested at the highest levels, they had a deep well to draw on. Right. Mm -hmm. They had a deep reserve. It's like a bank account. You know, if you're always withdrawing on it, mm -hmm. if you will, then eventually there's nothing there. But when you're making those investments, then you can draw on it when you need it most and you can see it continue to grow over a long period of time. And so, you know, that I really think that that's relevant to every time and place, but particularly in the modern world where there's just so much stuff, so much noise. I almost feel like that Abrahamic spirituality is like more needed today than ever, almost, right? That yeah. it's just so easy to get choked and get uh, distracted by all the, the stuff that's going on around us. So, Imam, let me let me ask you this, right? Let's, let's contemporize it. So let's say now you're meeting somebody and most people now, like one of the pillars of Islam, like I stated before, is Hajj, right? So... Hajj now, it's not like Hajj of the past, right? You can't say, all right, I'm going to go, like, during the time of the Prophet, we take a couple of camels, a couple of things. It cost it, but, like, 
it didn't cost like now, right? Hajj now almost is like going on vacation, right? So let's say I'm somebody, I'm a Muslim, an average, regular, regular Muslim, right? How, and I'm just like, I, I keep pushing that back. How do you, would you convince somebody to make this a priority still for themselves? And I look at it as something that may happen one day. Because when you talk to a lot of people respectfully, it almost seems like they think of Hajj as a dream versus a reality that can be done for them, you know? You know, um, one of the great things that we can bring into setting our goals and aspirations in life, including our most important ones, which are spiritual and religious goals with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is to get started immediately on a small step. So when I think about Hajj as a couple weeks, if you know, from traveling from from the West, for example, and all adding all that, Hajj itself doesn't take that long, but maybe altogether it takes, you know, what ten days, two weeks. So I'm thinking about that time, taking that time off work, saving up the numbers, which are more expensive today than ever. Then definitely it can look totally unachievable, right? It can look like it's going to never happen. Just looking at it a step at a time. Um, and building towards that, educating oneself about this journey, starting to save, right? And, and even if it's a little bit, even if there's months that come by where there isn't enough to put something aside, or just having the intention, right? The Prophet said, you know, speaks about the importance of intention. And one of the beautiful things about this deen is Allah does not burden us with results. He, uh, the results are His. But we have to be concerned with the intention and with the journey, with the steps. So there are people on the Day of Judgment who will be brought before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They've never seen Mecca, but they may have the reward of a great hajj or more than one with enormous amounts. Why? Mm -hmm. They intended. And then maybe they passed away. Maybe there wasn't enough. They, they never got enough. But that's that's not a concern for the believer because I'm not accountable to that. I'm accountable for the intention and for taking steps. So I think really making this real and pragmatic, right? People plan if they want to, for the worldly things, which are not necessarily bad, right? If they want to buy a house, if they want to finance an education, if they want to, um, you know, even go on vacation, like you said, people plan for that. Otherwise, it wouldn't happen either. You know what I'm saying? Thinking and planning, and I'm not saying planning in a way that shuts down our worldly affairs. And you can, anybody who's struggling with an individual question can seek consultation. There is religious precedent that if a person is at a stage of life where they feel like going on hajj may impede, for example, uh, a marriage you're considering or so on, it's okay to order things, uh, you know, within the bounds of our deen, right? But having that intention and building towards it increases the likelihood that you'll witness it, but it's rewardable either way if it's sincere, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not ask us for results. And so a lot of us, a lot of us, especially alhamdulillah, as um, Muslims in the West are, are as a group, while I don't generalize, are tested with relative ease compared to the relative hardship across many places in the world. A lot of people have the ability to be planning for their retirement accounts and for their, uh, you know, education and for their marriage and for their kids. And that's that's all wonderful. But do we expect Allah to meet Allah and we've planned for that for 60 years and never thought about how we're going to make Hajj? 
Mm-hmm. Or we got every second planned in the day of how I'm going to make the commute, make this meeting and so on. And I can't plan my obligations of Ramadan or my five daily prayers that take a few minutes, right? We're, we're encouraging one another to be very pragmatic, very serious about prioritizing our relationship with Allah. That which is important gets prioritized. That which is important, you make time for it. And, and a special word to those that are young, right? Like, you know, ask people that have more gray hairs than you, right? Mm -hmm. Each of us, when it's SAT time or when it's college application time, you think you'll never be busier in life. And inshallah, later in one day. And then Mm -hmm. college and that job. You know what? I have news for you. Like, time never comes. Mm -hmm. You make time for what's important, right? Mm -hmm. And there's always a million things to do. There's always not enough time to do what needs to be done. So selecting what you say no to can be just as more important than selecting what you say yes. And so that's what we're encouraging one another for, right? To really intend and plan for this noble journey, inshallah. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us of his vast bounty. Ameen, ameen, ameen. Now, you know, a different aspect of Dhul Hijjah I want to talk to is, it's not trivial. It's actually very central to uh, Prophet Ibrahim alayhi story and us as Muslims is the dream slash vision that Prophet Ibrahim salam had regarding uh, Ismail salam. So if you could just let's can we kind of delve into like the, the the significance that dreams play in how to like balance that as well in, as well as like the spirituality aspect of that as Muslims, you know? Great question. So the matter of dreams um, is different for prophets than everyday people like us. Um, but de- dreams, even for everyday people, have a, a, a connection to our deen, right? For general people, dreams are generally of three types. A type from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, a type from shaitan, and a type just from the nafs, from our human selves, right? Most dreams that most people experience are just dreams from the self, right? Mm-hmm. A person is going through things, going through life, and then may experience that that unique way. Some dreams are from the shaitan. They're there, um, Allah mentions in the Quran, to, to you know, cast fear in people and so on. And the Prophet ﷺ teaches us to seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from bad dreams and to not share them and then they will not harm us. And some dreams are, are an inspiration from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? And that can be an inclination of the heart. It can be an encouragement on the path and difficulty of the dunya. It can be a gift to a person that is sincerely, you know, um, pursuing the path to Allah. And I remember the advice of a, of a great scholar who was asked about, uh, uh, by a man who wanted to see the Prophet Muhammad in his dream. And that's a great gift from Allah, right? Mm-hmm. And the scholar taught him a lesson by having him go busy, get, get busy with certain affairs of this dunya, right? And so then at night, he dreamed all about the stuff that he was doing, right? So when he came back and he said, I didn't see the Prophet he's like, yeah, that's because you saw what you were doing. So busy yourself with the sunnah of the Prophet with the deen, with being an exceptional person. He's drawn closer, become more and more, you know, worthy of this gift of, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, the prophets have a special set of circumstances for them in that their dreams are an element of revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They're divinely inspired. 
as everyday people, we can be inspired by our dreams. We might feel, I don't know, b- between two pursuits and we feel a pull toward a thing. That's fine, as long as it's appropriate and in the boundaries of what's halal and, and correct. But they are not revelation from Allah for an everyday person that's not a prophet. We don't build legislation or action or violate the halal and haram based on that's really important to notice Mm -hmm. because that's a big difference between people and it's an exception for the prophets Mm -hmm. for whom their 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 dreams are part of revelation from allah Mm -hmm. therefore when the prophet ibrahim had this experience as a prophet and a messenger that receives revelation from allah as well as inspiration it was part of the commandment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to him and his family. Mm-hmm. And it's a unique test. Sometimes the prophets are tested at higher levels than everyday human beings with tests that are not common so that when we're going through stuff, right, even really hard stuff, you have a role model to look up to and say, oh, they overcame even more. And that brings hope, right? So this unique test, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not test you know, uh, many with this type of sacra of literally the willingness to sacrifice, mm-hmm. uh, and it should be seen in that light, right? Of this extreme test and heavy test of the love and devotion and submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm-hmm. From Allah's generosity to us, He didn't test us with that, right? Mm-hmm. He tested us with letting go of a bottle of alcohol, letting go of sleeping in in the morning, letting go of. Uh, uh, you know, haram earnings of money or selling prohibited items or pursuing livelihoods that are outside the boundaries of the halal, letting go of relationships that are outside of what he permitted and being patient with the, the frustration, the sacrifice, the difficulty that may be on that path until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens the door. Those are the tests that we have, the sacrifices that we have, examples of them. This was a unique role model family. And so they were tested with the literal willingness to let, you know, sacrifice the son for the love of the only uh, being that is more beloved, right? Infinitely more beloved. Most people don't love anything or anyone more than their close loved ones. Their mm-hmm. spe- children have a very special relationship that is in the heart of, 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 of parents, right? And they would literally sacrifice the world for them. You see parents take a job they don't like or live in a place that's not their favorite mm-hmm. or give up luxuries in order to give their kids a better life, right? It's a very special human relationship and probably the highest forms of among the highest forms of human sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So it became a role model for us, but not one that is uh, beyond our ability to relate to in a meaningful way. Many of us are cast, are called upon to give up something we like, even if it's not something we love at the level of a son uh, or a child, to let go of something we like for the love of one that is greater, and that is submission, unconditional surrender uh, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Jazakallah khair. That is a very, very, very beautiful, beautifully stated, um, you know. Now, just quick question also. Can you uh, uh, coincide that with the uh, hadith about dreams being the last portion of Nabuhud still uh, accessible to us as regular Muslims or as human beings, yeah. I guess, in general? Yes, so this hadith of the Prophet وسلم, is very, is fascinating. He says that uh, dreams, true dreams, are like 146th, so the fraction 1 over 46th of nubuwa, of prophethood. And our Prophet وسلم, you know, the, the periodhood of, a period of his prophethood was 23 years. For about six months, he, 
part of his divine preparation for the burdens of prophethood and the responsibilities of prophethood. And even the Prophet ﷺ receiving revelation was noted by the companions to have a very heavy effect on him, right? Um, they would sometimes see him pro sweating profusely. Sometimes he would be reclining uh, on, on, or mounted on an animal reclining, and they would not be able to take his physical weight. Mm -hmm. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, We shall reveal to you, O Muhammad, a weighty message. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and of course, the experience with the original revelation from, uh, you know, um, the ayat in Iqra bismi rabbika ladhi khalaq, was not just a spiritual experience for our Prophet It was emotionally heavy, very physical, um, in which he experienced almost being like having the wind taking out of him and exhaustion and sweat and fear. So there were there, there were many um, there were many things that had to be lifted, and he had to be prepared for this. Part of his divine preparation was six months in which he experienced true dreams. He would see something at night, and then it would come to pass as he saw it during the day. Um, he would see, hear the salam of the rocks and the trees, right? And so he'd hear salam and look, and no one was there but the creation of Allah. So he started having these inspirations and these experiences during his periods of reflection before the revelation of the end of times, the revelation of Al-Quran Al-Kareem came to him. So a person that has true dreams or these dreams from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is receiving a gift that is like a small part of prophethood. It's like a small part of the preparation for prophethood. And so, inshallah, it's, an it's a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, nothing less, right? This mm -hmm. is, uh, and it, it, it's part of the preparation of prophethood. That's uh, how we understand the connection of this hadith to what we shared earlier. And Allah very knows best. Allah knows best. Very interesting. Very interesting. You know, so to tie that in now, right? Because we're getting towards like the ending portion of the podcast. To tie that in now, like the process of Hajj itself, right? The rituals of Hajj. Can you tie that to the life of the Muslim, the life of Ibrahim, even the life of Rasulullah Like tying all of those together and what, how all of those are connected in some fashion. Actually, before we get to that though, really briefly though, you know, I just thought of this, you know, Ibrahim alayhi salam, if I'm not mistaken, was known as uh, Khalilullah, right? The friend of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, you know, even better, right, Imam, how, how can, to speak to that, how can I, being a friend of Allah, what does that look like? And how do I rectify that in terms of being friends with other people I may not need to be friends with, right? How do I know if it's a clash? How do I know if they fit? It's a great question here and uh, and a broad topic. I'd like to just um, yeah, it's probably very aspects. broad. So we can just probably just touch on it a little bit because this that's even a podcast topic itself. Maybe we bring you back to talk about it, inshallah. I think so. A friendship would be a wonderful topic to have a podcast on. But understanding this term Khalil, right? Mm -hmm. First, generally, when we use Allah's terms in the rights of Allah, mm -hmm. it's very different from our human experience. We only have our language to use, right? Mm -hmm. But a, a friendship among human beings, there's mutual benefit, there's mutual uh, need. Of course, in the right of Allah, Allah doesn't need anyone, right? Mm -hmm. And his relation with his creation is full of love, is full of compassion. And so we understand through these terms, though it is entirely different. Mm -hmm. In that sense, friend in English has many words. Mm -hmm. um, in Arabic, we can't translate each one one-to-one. -one. But mm -hmm. Khalil we understand that it is the highest level of love. Mm -hmm. 
the highest level of these beautiful aspects that bring a friend together. And a person can have a khalil from human beings, right? You have many friends. You have other relationships too. You have colleagues at work, classmates at, at, at school, et cetera, et cetera. But you only have one khalil, right? It was just like almost like higher than a best friend, like somebody where those meanings are shared at a higher level, higher level of loyalty, of devotion, of trust, and so on and so forth. Now, of course, the, being a khalil to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, indicating that a servant has love, uh, you know, compassion at those incredibly high, indescribable levels, then a person who is khalil of Allah does not take a khalil from human beings, right? Mm. And only to uh, attain this very high level, mm. Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam and Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In the hadith, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam says in the meaning of the hadith, if I were to take a khalil, from human beings, from the people of the earth, excuse me, I would have taken Abu Bakr. Mm-hmm. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taken me as Khalil, which means that the Prophet will not take a Khalil from human mm-hmm. beings. But of course, he had close friends and so on and so forth. So we can learn a lot from this, but certainly thinking about what makes for a, a friend, right, in terms among human beings, in terms of not just a good time, but the meanings that we're talking about, pure and high levels of love that are rooted not just fun times but you know giving true truly wanting to see the best in another person loyalty um supporting them in their ups and their downs uh, supporting them when they're doing right and supporting when they're doing wrong by not trying to tear them to pieces but really bring out the best of them help them advise them all of these meanings and much more show us a much more dynamic friendship and affiliation then you know maybe just what we see through a more shallow lens of good times and just to hit that last point um the last point of just connecting all of that to the rites and uh, the rituals of hajj and the life of a muslim al-hajj is like uh has many spiritual dimensions but i like to call it like a shake-up or boot camp mm-hmm. right in a sense, during Hajj, we are asked to interrupt so many of the things and habits that we have during daily life. These things are not necessarily bad, but they are part of the sacrifice and investment that a person makes during this very special season of Hajj. So they give up. They Many people have to leave their friends and family, mm-hmm. most or all of them, have to travel a long distance. They're not in their element, <clears throat> even though Hajj these days is much more comfortable than it was historically any element of travel brings hardship brings disorientation right you're outside of your element you're outside of your comfort zone more than that in hajj you have all these rules so you're literally giving up your normal clothes right and in special garments with special rules normally halal things you can't do certain things you need to be in certain places you need to do this and all of the rituals of talk all of this has layers of spiritual dimensions and meanings. But among them, if you can get close to Allah here with all these extra things, all these extra rules, all these extra responsibilities, can you bring that spirit back to being a transformed person when it's back to putting on what you like and sleeping in your own bed Mm -hmm. and having all this other stuff that should, Mm -hmm. inshallah, make it easy. And Imam uh, Muhammad Matwali al-Sha'rawi, 
Rahimahullah, he's a beautiful statement that I love about this. He says, you know, people feel a certain level of connectedness to Allah when they're in Mecca and Medina because they feel shy to disobey Allah or come up short in His commandments while they're in the shade of the Kaaba or neighbors to the grave of the Prophet And if they brought that attitude back to their daily lives, they would bring a large share of the sweetness of Mecca and Medina to London or to Paris or we say to New York or Los Angeles or Chicago or wherever you may be right now, right? And so really feeling that, that Hajj is not about who I'm going to be during those days only. In fact, it's largely about who I seek to become after. The person that I take home myself, the person that I take home with myself after Hajj, I aspire that that person be a transformed and different and better person. doesn't mean the person that went to Hajj is bad, but that we try to level up, upgrade, get closer to Allah, become positively transformed through this once-in-a-lifetime and unique and indescribable you know, experience, the ritual of Hajj. Uh, Imam, I, I, you said something I want to jump on, but we, we're getting towards the ending because like, just that aspect of like, how do I remove that shyness or that shame when I try to bring that sweetness with me back? Because you're probably like, ah, uh, but I'm, I, I did it there. Why do I hear? I've done this. I've done that. But how to, but inshallah, another time. Jazakallah khair, barakallah fikum for the wisdom you shared today. Um, and just some of the points, you know, just so people take away, definitely there's a huge interconnectivity of the life of a Muslim and the rituals and rites of Hajj and that spirituality, that the aspect that ties it together, you know, like the Imam wonderfully stated, the Sheikh, that these aspects almost, it's almost like it, it, it uh, condenses it into a single moment, but this moment is representative of the whole life process, right? You know, because we wear the shroud, we wear the ikram, which you'll be buried in one, like, you know, you'll be wrapped in the same type of material as well. Um, so I think that's one thing just to keep in mind. And also that, Starting these processes starts with a single step, right? Start little, tiny. Don't try to do these Herculean efforts all the time. You'll burn yourself out. But rather start from a humble spot with the intention of fulfilling your rights and your ibadah towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you can achieve these things. Well, of course, with with Allah's help, you know, through time. Um, And also that, you know, Connecting yourself with uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this deen as much as you can while still maintaining your life in this dunya is the best thing you can mm. do as this uh, wonderful guest has done with his professional and professional career and personal life as well. Um, I'd like to say, everybody, thank you for listening to the podcast. Please the, uh, get the Dhul Hijjah packet, that uh, revive packet that's coming out now. Um, please subscribe to the podcast, share this episode with more friends. Um, Imam, is there anything you want to share before we, 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 we tune out? No, alhamdulillah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us these mm-hmm. uh, 10 days are the best days to do good deeds. And I just want to emphasize the, the programs and packet that you mentioned, the opportunity to collect locally with organizations doing this work and, and mass programs is just an, a wonderful opportunity, inshallah, bring this all home. And continue it, inshallah, long after the season of the Hijjah. So that would be the greatest gift, inshallah, of this podcast. 
Inshallah. What, brothers and sisters, thank you all for listening. It's your brother Abdullah Freeman. I'm signing out, and we will see you guys next time. Inshallah. Assalamualaikum.